You're listening to the FMC podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Hello, uh, good morning. Uh, on this holy Saturday, welcome to the FMC podcast. My name is Matt Spazali, and mine is too. No, uh, my name's Jonathan <laughs> Keel. <laughs> Uh, common. It's a common name, uh, Matt Spazali. So, I, it wouldn't be surprising if there were many others. But anyway, um, so let's uh, let's we'll start with a prayer. Uh, in the name of the Father, Father Son, and the Holy, Holy Spirit. Spirit. Amen. Amen. Praise you, Lord. We um, come together to get today um, in. Remembrance uh, of your passion, Lord, um, in remembrance of the time when you were in in the tomb, uh, as far as your disciples knew, and um, we we contemplate this stunning act of violence um, committed against you, Lord, that you suffered for mm-hmm. our sake, and. Um, we ask you to uh, touch our hearts to see the um, see this violence and to understand that you call us to peace. And uh, we just ask you to be with us as we discuss these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Mm-hmm. So. Um, Again, yeah, it's it's uh, Holy Saturday. Um, some of you may be uh, listening to this once it's Easter, but um, I think our uh, this reflection will be um, worth your time. <laughs> Hopefully, uh, nevertheless, uh, wherever whatever liturgical season you're in. Um, okay, so so uh, we're looking at um, we're looking at the crucifixion, um, not not in detail in this podcast, but I just mean in, in general. It was Good Friday um, and Holy Saturday. The you know I'm, I'm just thinking of Mary being you know some bewildered as, as she was um, when she when the angel appeared to her. She's like, how can this be? Um, I imagine her saying something similar on Holy Saturday. Her son has just died this mm-hmm. gruesome death, and she witnessed it. And I was reading a reflection this morning about it, and they were like, what were the apostles doing during Holy Saturday? And it said, well, because Saturday was the Sabbath, the Jews would have been resting. And... I don't know. I think the, the the reflection went on, but I remember if I was like, man, I don't know. I don't really like that idea. I, I think more the apostles were shocked and in grief. I mean, some of them may have had inklings of what was to come because Jesus had said it, but I don't think that they really got it because even after the res- resurrection, they were still like, uh, so are you going to? Uh, overthrow the government or whatever. <laughs> it's like, oh man, you guys just don't get it. Um, so anyway, um, I, I think 
I think they were pondering this violence that they had seen. You know, that would be one of the things. Their good friend had just been mm-hmm. murdered uh, and didn't defend himself. What is that about? And that's kind of the the reflection that we are going to try to have here is what does Jesus call us to do in response to violence? Um, there's in, in the news lately, and you know, uh, really the news almost all the time. You we see so much violence in the world. Um, I'm thinking particularly of Syria. Um, the Palm Sunday bombings in Egypt have really um, made things going on there hit home for a lot of us Christians. Um, But, you know, it must be said, these things are going on all the time, all over the world. Uh, And I, I was telling Jonathan, I get this briefing in my inbox every day and of different headlines from around the world and they go through each continent and in Africa and in Asia and in the Middle East every single day there's something going off and I I look at it and I'm just like man you know it's it's we can't we can't grasp the gravity of all of all of this violence but anyway <laughs> Jesus um, I guess I'll just look at the uh, so he calls us to a, to something in response to this something that's really I think uh, unnatural for most of us um, so in, in one In Matthew um, chapter 5, verse 21, he says, You have heard that it was said to your ancestors, You shall not kill, and whoever kills will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, whoever is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Um, And then, as we've discussed before, he says, Later in uh, verse 43 of chapter 5, you've heard it was said that you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And skipping down a little bit, for if you love those who love you, what recompense will you have? Do not the tax collectors do the same? If you greet your brothers only, what is unusual about that? Do not the pagans do the same? So be perfect, just as your heavenly Father is perfect. So, Jesus is calling us, he's setting the bar as high as you could possibly set it. Perfection. And he's talking, I mean, he's saying not, it doesn't say, he's, he's saying, you, should, you heard it, don't, you shall not kill. He's saying, "Don't even be angry." Um, he says, "Love your enemies." A, a, an idea that we have talked about previously in this podcast, um, but I think Jonathan and I both agree that 
um, it's important for us as Christians not to water down the teachings of Jesus mm-hmm. to suit um, our own lives and make us feel more comfortable with where we are. Um, even if we are very, very, very far from, um, even if we're very far from Jesus and from His teachings, it doesn't help us to try to say, well, what Jesus really meant was um, don't murder anyone in cold mm-hmm. blood or something, which is would be ridiculous because he specifically says, yeah, you've already heard that, but I'm calling you to something more. Um, so it's that I <clears throat> that kind of general idea. What is God, what is Jesus teaching us about our reaction to violence perpetrated against ourselves that get perpetrated against anyone um, and uh, as as we're prone to do I think rightly uh, as Catholics we want to see what our Holy Father is saying about these things so um, Jonathan, I don't know if he, would you want to take it from there? Or you've got another thing you wanted to. Well, I wanted to say I really like this quote um, in two seventy one of Joy of the Gospel. Kind of thinking about what you're just saying, Pope Francis says, "Let us live." Uh, he's talking here about, um, well, basically the teachings of the Church and the teachings of the Gospels. Um, the Beatitudes and uh, just the things that Jesus calls us to in the gospel and the word of God. And he says, let us live them sine glossa without commentaries. By doing so, we will know the missionary joy of sharing life with God's faithful people. And I think um, I just love that line because I think it's so important to us. Um, I've read many commentaries when I was in graduate school in biblical scholarship and uh, in undergrad and just in my personal study, so many different commentaries. And it's so easy to, I realize, uh, kind of comment your way out of the, the at one time obvious meaning of a text so that you end up with really all sorts of strange teachings and it's it's a strange thing to me that many times the commentaries that we have over something like the Sermon on the Mount which is certainly the Sermon on the Mount and the Sermon on the Plain are if not his ultimate at least uh, one of his ultimate as in most important highest teachings Jesus gets commentated on so much that in many of the um, commentaries you end up with a very bland uh, message that seems pretty commonsensical it lacks all of its power um, that must it must have had when he proclaimed it Uh, and so instead of loving your enemies you end up with you know don't uh, don't treat them too bad uh, the radical nature of Jesus' call to give up all and hand it to the poor, not to worry, ends up being, well, God wants us, he gives us wisdom as well. 
So we do need to worry about certain things. He just doesn't want us to over worry, whatever it, those those type of qualifiers end up with allowing uh, loopholes for anything. You know, I mean, can you ever over worry? There's always certainly you could say, I'm not worrying that much. Uh, I'm not that wealthy. I'm not that attached to money. I'm not that attached to my things. I don't hate my neighbor that much. Uh, I didn't lust over that many women. Uh, I don't know. Lust is one of the ones that, at least in the circles I've been in, you don't really get to fudge much on. Uh, on gluttony, yeah. you can say, well, I didn't eat so bad that I didn't, I couldn't get up off the table. Or, you know, I didn't eat so bad that I threw up. But you don't get to say, you know, well, I didn't lust to this point it's just a black and white no but it's interesting the things that uh we allow uh, a lot of you know play mm -hmm. on you know jesus uh, talks about enemies that if you're even angry what if we treated that as the same way that we treat lusting after women uh, certainly i've never been to uh in, in a christian circle and said uh, oh, I lusted after a woman and been told, well, it's, it's not like you actually did anything about it. That's just mm. common. It's no big deal. But so many times I've talked about being angry. Oh, well, that's, you were justified. That wasn't a big deal. Uh, I think the commentaries can sometimes be very damaging. And, and yeah. Father Regame said in his book, I don't have it with me. I loved it. He said, you know, um, that medioc mediocre men will always... Um, try and make the gospel mediocrity <laughs> because that's all they know. Right. And so I think, um, well, yeah, I, I, as we've we were discussing, uh, I think that mediocre gospel uh, that's something that would never inspire anyone. You know, that's some or something that would never inspire people to the radical change in their lives yeah, you know, that I wanna, we see in the gospel. I don't want to interrupt you, but I, yeah. I, I just want to say something because, you know, you made me think about this, but, you know, the gospel is radical. It excites. And you can, once you start commentating your way out of the gospel, what you end up with is a gospel that's really not that interesting. And you see it in uh, a lot of people who... They've accepted this kind of adulterated, uh, you know, I would call it a very um, fearful, lacking courage type of gospel. Uh, and so what you end up with is in place of the gospel, their lives tend to be um, ruled more by media, which is much more interesting and engaging than the kind of bland uh, insipid gospel that oftentimes is preached from uh, the pulpit or especially uh, pronounced from the commentaries, you know, you have many people who, uh, when you begin to talk to them about many beliefs, uh, you realize that they're not listening to Jesus. What they're doing is listening to, you know, Bill O'Reilly or right. NBC News or... Rush Limbaugh or, 
you know, Bill Maurer or any number of these talk show hosts from all different perspectives and spectrums of political backgrounds. Uh, but I've, I have Amen. rarely yeah. found yeah. today people who say, well, but Jesus said this. It's so rare. What you yeah. hear instead, what you get instead is some comment that just seems like it was off a Sean Hannity show or a Michael Moore movie. Yeah, well, and I think, you know, that makes it all the more easy for us to be relativistic about religions and say, well, don't they all just teach the same thing? Um, Mm -hmm. Because if you water down the gospel into sensible morals, sensible moralizing, then you could probably, you know, you can see, you know, undercurrents of that in all the different religions and philosophies, yeah, you know, maybe we should be nice to people, mm-hmm. or some, and maybe we should do that. And then I think, and I, I really do know that that was something that happened to me in my own life. Um, I think I, I the the gospel was um, glossed, like um, Pope Francis talks about, glossed to the point where. I didn't see how I didn't see it as something very important, you know. Um, if if I'm not called, if Jesus Jesus didn't mean what he said um, when he said you cannot serve both God and Mammon, if he didn't mean what he said um, about turn the other cheek, then. There's nothing essential about his teachings. Um, and, you know, it also it reduces, I think, when you, do, when you have a perception of the gospel as a system of morals only, that's not the point. The point is, a, is Jesus. Jesus is the point, and if we are in relation, it's about having a relationship with an actual person who actually existed, um, and that, I, I mean, I think certainly that's the separating point from mm-hmm. it, all the other religions of the world, is that they are not about Jesus. This one is. Um, Christianity is about Jesus Christ. Uh, you and, know, yeah. I, I when you mentioned the idea of relativism, you know, which was certainly a... Um, a, a topic uh, that was mentioned often by Pope Benedict in 2007 for his World Day of Peace message he talked about this re- uh, the idea the relativistic conception of the human person and I think this is really interesting as we've been talking throughout this Lent you know so often we as as human beings as Catholics even as Christians, we relativize the worth of human beings. And you could see that in things such as oftentimes in war, uh, you know, <clears throat> a, our soldiers may be seen by some as worth more than foreign civilians. And so if it means losing a hundred foreign civilians to save however many uh of our troops, the relative value 
of our troops. It's it's more, and well, we oftentimes one of the things Pope Francis in this year's World Day of Peace message. Uh, one of the things that he says is one of the things that actually work against peace are uh, ambitious nationalisms. And I think one of the, these are some of the issues that, um, you know, as we look throughout our world this week, we've had a lot of we've seen a lot of violence throughout the week, not only uh, in our world, but also even in our um, liturgical uh, celebrations and, and commemorations of the great violence done to Jesus. Um, and Pope Francis certainly, but following in the footsteps of uh, certainly the last uh, number of popes, uh, at least back to Paul the Twelfth, have or uh, Pius the Twelfth have is calling us to live. Uh, a more non-violent way of life, which is is interesting. The the idea, his title for the fiftieth World Day of Peace, which we we celebrated the fiftieth World Day of Peace, uh, January first of this year, um, was on it, the topic was non-violence um, for politics as well as personal life, and it's really an interesting topic for me personally um, because. I uh, read my first, the first Catholic author I'd ever read was uh, Thomas Merton as I was preparing for a, a paper I was writing on nonviolent conflict resolution when I was uh, early in college. Um, and I happened to pick up a book he wrote on nonviolence uh, called Nonviolent Conflict Resolution, I believe. I think it was uh, posthumously uh, published. But, um, and I, so, so this, that eventually led me, uh, into a way of understanding Jesus's teaching, um, through many great, uh, men and women in, uh, in this modern world who have, um, striven to live out, uh, his teaching on, on peace. But it's just an interesting, I wonder if you could just, or we could just pause for a minute because it's just such an interesting idea that, uh, it's really a not idea, like nonviolence. It's not. We're not. It's not really. It's interesting that nonviolence has become an idea, but it's really um, kind of like Protestant or kind of like uh, you know. These are words that are based upon something. Uh, more fundamental mm-hmm. and a negation of it, and I and I just wonder if we could just uh, it, what what you thought of that, Matt? Like mm. this idea that we're not saying you know peace is nonviolence, um, but they 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 certainly are related. But this idea of saying nonviolence, um, and even Pope Francis goes as far as to say an active yeah. nonviolence, which almost seems like an oxymoron. Yeah, well, that I hadn't thought of that. Um, I think I do like that, but I I like the sort of the posture that that puts me in. Um, because it is sort of a questioning, like if non nonviolence is nothing. In a sense, like there's no, 
All it is is a negation. So it's it's not doing something. And then we we naturally want to say, okay, well, but what do I do? Um, and I, I think this might be a, a helpful way of looking at the teaching of Jesus because um, it's it maybe brings us into contemplating him and contem- instead of jumping to the next uh, step. And so instead of saying, well, all right, but so nonviolence, what do I do if someone breaks into my house and is going to kill my family? Uh, what do I do? Um, <laughs> I don't know. I'm just trying, kind of connecting these things in my head right now. I'm not sure if this makes total sense, but like, I think that it's, it is important, um, as Pope Francis has called this, uh, and and uh, Pope Benedict as as well, um, and certainly all the popes, but um, I'm thinking of Benedict's, you know, released uh, book Jesus of Nazareth, uh, his his personal reflections on Jesus, and he, you know, uh, people misunderstand Catholicism a lot and think that the focus isn't on Jesus and I think unfortunately for many Catholics it's not just like for many Christians it isn't but um, I think we have such a rich tradition of different devotions um, a just so two millennia of time for us to develop so many things that there, there can be a lot of distractions but we recognize and we proclaim the centrality of Jesus. And so uh, Pope Francis has kind of called this, he's like, uh, start with Jesus. Start with the personal relationship and let that animate the rest of, let that animate the gospel. You know, let that animate the teachings of Christ and the teachings of the church. Um, So... Yeah, like, I think nonviolence that that word causes me to pause and causes us to pause. And where do we look? Jesus. Mm-hmm. What does what is he saying? And he's saying, uh, "Love your enemies." He's saying, "Turn the other cheek." Um, which I want to talk about that. Um. That, that verse in a minute, but um, I think it's very it's very easy for me to say, well, how how can these teachings make any sense in the real world? How does it how like I said, how do you deal with somebody breaking into your house? How do you deal with um, a government that is using chemical weapons against innocent civilians? How do we as a nation deal with that? Um, I think it's okay for the moment, uh, in a sense. It's it's okay for us as Christians to say, I don't know. I don't understand the teaching. Um, It's better for us to be honest about that than to start watering it down and saying, well, it can't mean what 
what it says. Um, this is not to say that every you know that we take all of these things out of context or something, or that we um, read every single thing in the Bible literally. Um, but there are certain things that need to be taken taken literally, and I think the teachings of Jesus uh, on these issues are quite clear. Um, the the so I heard I heard a reflection on turn the other cheek. Um, so Jesus, I skipped over this earlier, and I meant to read it, but. Um, so also in Matthew and um, the other synoptic gospels, I, I, I'm sure. Um, when someone strikes you on your right cheek, turn the other one to him as well. And it goes on, if anyone wants to go to law with you over your tunic, hand him your cloak as well. Should anyone press you into service for one mile, go with him for two miles. Now, I've, I heard a reflection by Bishop Robert Barron in his series on Catholicism um, in the second episode of it where he is briefly going over the teachings of Jesus. And he does a great job and presents them, I think, very accurately and um, more or less in their revolutionary and and radical sense. Um, But... He talks about turning... So he's got this uh, a discussion, and I actually I looked it up on the internet, and I found other people saying similar things, that in the culture of that time, um, you would strike someone with the back of your hand, um, so, they, so you'd, you would strike them with the back of your hand, and that would, you know, I don't know, hit him on one cheek then if you turn your cheek after that strike they would have to either hit you with their open hand or use their left hand which the left hand was seen as unclean and they you shouldn't do that and um i don't know <laughs> i don't know what the point of all of that is i guess and I actually, now that I'm thinking about it, maybe I agree. So one of the things that, um, I'm sorry, this is all over the place. One of the things that, and if that doesn't, <laughs> that back and forth doesn't make any sense, it's kind of com- uh, complicated for me to understand. But one of the, I guess the idea that he was saying was that this is actually a, maybe a form of active nonviolence, is that it's not complete surrender it's sort of putting your enemy in a difficult position to cause further violence. Um, and I don't know, you know, I'm not sure. I think that can help us in moving forward from, okay, what do we do after we are not violent? What do we do next? Um, or how does that how, how are we supposed to respond? And I think we should act positively, but it's not in 
clearly in violence, maybe some other way of disarming mm-hmm. um, the person, and that that's fine. Um, I think that the reason that <clears throat> maybe that I responded a little negatively when I first heard him talking about this is because it seemed like a gloss, and I was I was worried that like wait is this watering down the teaching but actually as i'm as i'm talking talking it out i think um it's actually a good uh, a good way of seeing what jesus is calling us to um certainly nonviolence <clears throat> turn the other cheek you're not raising your hand to the other person in any way um but maybe maybe the people at the time would have understood this as a way of diffusing the conflict um, you know in an active way you, you're making you're doing an action by turning your cheek um, so I don't know in the but as I said in the end it's okay, I think that it's okay for us not to know um, not to be completely to completely understand the teachings of Jesus and not to completely know how to live them out. Um, but we need to sit in that struggle and we need to think about it and ask God to show us. Be in relationship with Jesus. Be praying and saying, God, I don't understand it. I don't understand how this works. I don't know what you're talking about. Help me. I, um, you know, one thing I think with many of the circles I grew up in peace um, was certainly not something very much discussed uh, uh, in the churches where I had been um, that wasn't something I remember our first year of missions being so surprised because the things that I found myself praying for the most were uh, peace joy gratitude and hospitality um the things that i appreciated the most and felt i lacked the most in my life at that moment and all four of those things were very rarely ever mentioned uh in in many of the circles even catholic um that i was raised in or that i um started off my earlier uh in in my catholic life um it would be much more, you would be thinking of, you know, things like um, conversion, purity was uh, one that was, you know, pretty constant. Mm-hmm. Um, or uh, it might be something like um, perseverance, these which are also great. But peace was kind of something you thought of as uh, something back from... from A hippie yeah, thing. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. It, it, it kind of had been put aside as something that really wasn't all that relevant for today and because of that outside of you know here and then you'd have a pope uh, or a saint francis you know prayer out of that would come up uh there wasn't mentioned a whole lot and so i found that a lot in a lot of places i was in the very idea of uh non-violence and peace and living out some of jesus's teaching uh in a literal way were very they could easily offend people the idea that god may not 
Uh, and I believe God does not want you to defend your life with a gun. Uh, def- really can really offend other Christians. Uh, even talking about the idea of making guns um, more difficult to get a hold of, uh, people will be much more upset at that discussion in many Christian circles than on whether or not Jesus is truly God. Uh, which seems so much more fundamental. But for many people, um, their lives, they live, as as Pope Paul VI says, um, he talks about um, there is a certain fear, which is common to all peoples and to the strongest ones especially. And I think uh, many people that I've Mm. met uh, even our country, I think there are not many places that are more afraid of people getting nuclear weapons and using them than uh, in the United States, especially in her history. And yet we are the only ones who have used and multiple times uh, these weapons. Uh, just this week, we dropped this Moab, uh, which wasn't a nuclear weapon, but it, it it certainly gave off the cloud and a certain impression that was very similar to an atomic bomb from World War II. Um, and it was the the biggest non-nuclear bomb ever dropped right. in history. And I, I thought, you know, the $16 million in a few moments, um, ta- death toll tallies are different, but the most recent one I saw from the Afghan government was 96 uh, Af- or ISIS soldiers uh, or, you know, fighters. Um, I just, when we think of Jesus and this kind of, uh, there's a certain fearlessness that you see in people like Martin Luther King, Gandhi, many of the marchers, uh, as they practice active nonviolence that I've experienced in my own life. Um, I think of a time I, I rode the Greyhound bus. I was going mm-hmm. to the Franciscan University of Steubenville and I was heading back home to California from Ohio. And um, we... I remember getting on the bus and we stopped in Chicago downtown. I wanted to go and see the Sears Tower and, and we only had an, an hour or two layover. So I went rushing around to just look at what I could see in that amount of time. I remember coming back and jumping on the Greyhound and sitting down. I was in about the third row from the front and this woman comes on. Uh, the, dr- the driver was nowhere to be seen. But this woman comes on holding a child. She looks frightened. She runs towards the back and sits about in the middle of the, the Greyhound bus. And uh, I didn't think a whole lot about it. I just kind of looked up and then went, continued reading. And then all of a sudden, the bus seemed to lurch to the right as this enormous man steps onto the bus and he begins yelling at the top of his lungs give me back my kid woman and the woman is screaming you know get away from my kid and they're both screaming at each other the man was very tall um very big took up the whole aisle and they're screaming and you could imagine you know uh this scenario 
Uh, people begin to read even more intently. They put on their headphones. <laughs> they look out the window. They act like nothing is happening. Uh, huh. No one gets involved. They just get their like get their face in their books and their um, laptops and their whatever. That phones weren't quite as popular uh, back then. That was a good you know twelve years ago. But um, at any rate, the man goes. He gets to. Oh, wow. Uh, sorry, we're looking over right now. <laughs> and on next to the door on the broom, there is a snake crawling. Uh, and it's, uh, I'm going to hold, hold on one second. Um, some of some of you know, know this, but I'm I've developed an interest in snakes as we uh as I've lived out here at Big Woods, and I can identify them pretty well, so let me look at it real quick. Back. Okay, uh, we're back from from our little adventure there. Uh, Jonathan went over and uh, grabbed the snake behind its head and picked it up. It was a, a little um, water snake. Um, it was pretty long, actually, but not not real thick. Uh, there's a lot of well, well. I uh, hope my grandmother isn't listening to this podcast. <laughs> there's a lot of snakes out here. She hates snakes. It's her number one fear. And if you tell her that there's snakes anywhere, she, you know, that's the worst thing that you could be involved with. <laughs> if really, I think she would. She would really, really disapprove uh, of really our whole endeavor out here if she knew that there were snakes. And I think she just willfully uh, keeps herself in the dark about... Because if she followed that road logically, knowing that we're in a cypress swamp, uh, there's really no chance that there aren't snakes out here. But anyway... um, we didn't kill... Here we go. We didn't kill the snake. <laughs> and um, while I do... You know, it's while I certainly believe that the main part of Jesus' teaching about violence is against other people, you know, um, and we hold human beings in the highest esteem as created... Uh, in the image of God, we also have to respect the rest of creation that we've been given as uh, we've been that God has given to us as stewards, not as um, rulers and destroyers, but stewards of His creation. And um, we see His beauty and this the uh, amazing diversity of. All these things that God has created, and and snakes are one of them. I don't care that they have <laughs> traditionally been seen as evil. Um, and some people I've heard say, "Well, no, it's it's uh, it's symbolic." And the Bible uses the word serpent, and a serpent is a symbolic thing, and it's different from a snake. And I've never found that to be particularly convincing. I just know that. They're a creature like any other, and especially ones, I mean, uh, 
a a shark or I guess people don't really like sharks either but anyway uh, getting a little off topic here sorry well so but it, <laughs> let me go back to this finish this story for oh yeah that's everybody. right you're on the Greyhound bus uh, and, and so this the man comes in he wants his kid back he rushes after a woman who wants to keep her kid it's just we have no idea who, you know my instinct is this man is gonna you know hurt somebody the man ends up grabbing the kid's head the woman's got his ankles in her armpits and they're pulling back and forth screaming and cussing and again everyone is just in their own business so I actually stood up uh, I had been praying uh, just under my breath I stood up and I remember my voice as it quivered <laughs> yeah. um, this man I wasn't even up to his shoulder but I said, put down that kid. Uh, that's not right. And uh, he looked at me and he shook his fist, which was it felt like was bigger than my head. And um, told me to stay out of this and mind my own business. And I told him I wouldn't. And I remember turning around. It was nothing. Uh, it wouldn't make for a good movie. <laughs> But I remember turning around and just wedging myself in the aisle. I, I didn't even want to look towards him because I would rather have just gotten punched in the back of my head. <laughs> and I just prayed uh, as I stood there, uh, kind of wedged over. And eventually the police showed up and I didn't get knocked out, although I was expecting it. Um, I sat back down. Uh, Wait, I so they're they're tugging on the kid. You, where did you go? I don't. So, know. so they're in the middle of the bus, and I'm remember I'm sitting in like the third aisle. Uh -huh. So I tell him to stop. I I went kind of closer towards him to probably the fifth or sixth aisle. I asked him to told him to stop. He told me he wouldn't, so I just kind of turned around and wedged myself. So he certainly couldn't get past me unless he just removed me. Oh, I see. Out so of he, his he way. wouldn't have been it able only to leave. A, it was with a very the... narrow. I mean, for the most part, it wasn't hard. Right, it wasn't hard to like block the aisle okay, in a Greyhound bus. Yeah. Um, the police eventually showed up, and the the most surprising thing of all was eventually when the bus came, the bus driver came back on. He, it was to let us know that uh, this woman had abducted the man's child and uh, she was kind of a little bit crazy and they both seemed crazy to me but uh, uh, I wasn't expecting that I was expecting the whole time that this man um, was in the wrong and so uh, the police ended up taking the woman away and the man just, you know, went and got on his own bus. They act none of them actually were on our bus. They just had ran on like I don't even un understand it all. The point is is um I've discovered many times in my life if I if if I was making up that story um and saying before it happened what I would have done, it would have turned out it would have been a very different um I also remember um when I lost my son, uh, I remember thinking, 
many times throughout my life what it would be like, what I would do, how I would react in a situation like that. And I found it was nothing like what I imagined. And what I've realized in my life since then is that so often when we plan out for the future or for the hypothetical, which really is, you know, like the future, both of which uh, may never happen, we always have the lack of God's grace and God's action in any type of action. On the way God responds, we can't possibly know. And so what we do oftentimes, and I feel that it is, um, it's wrong to to do this, and I think we should avoid it. But when we say things like, "Well, if someone stole my car, this is how I would respond," uh, we tend to forget that we tend to make it as though God isn't involved in uh, in that situation. And so, um, my discovery has been throughout my life that when these situations have actually happen um, I'm surprised at how different I respond to the way I maybe thought I would respond I'm much more courageous than Hmm. I gave myself credit for or I'm much more cowardly than I imagined I ever could be Um, and I think a lot of that again is um, where I would say God allows for us to fail or gives us great victories um, in his grace and in his mercy. So I, I have discovered, and, and I believe this, uh, one of my favorite philosophers, Seneca, uh, the younger, often talks about avoiding uh, the future. You know, fear like the future is something that never comes. It's always in the future. It's always something that uh, is different from the present. And I think I've noticed many spiritual authors that, uh, including, you know, the imitation of Christ that talk about a similar thing. We need to live in the present. We need to accept life as it comes to us. Mm -hmm. And I think part of our way of living, you know, nonviolence, it certainly starts within and, um, you know, one of the, the things Pope Francis talks about um, in embracing nonviolence uh, is, of course, some of the things we talked about with our enemies. Um, but one of the things he says is, uh, I'm sorry, I'm looking for it here. Um, actually, this may have been um, in Pope Or was it, is it the that let's see well I do feel as though you know our (laughs) I guess what I had read and I I can't find it at the moment um, but it's this idea that uh, violence kind of arises uh, from our Mm -hmm inability to accept another person or a situation as a gift from God. And so our violence tends to be 
uh, our way of kind of trying to take control of a situation rather than accepting that situation and allowing it to um, kind of end within us. We cycle, we make it a cycle by responding violently yeah. and, and I, I don't know that I'm making a lot of sense so well I, I you you are I think and um, I think what we are called to do as Christians um, is to be so in awe of the other person and this this goes back to what we started this podcast uh, the the series, the series of podcasts on the gift of the other person. Every single person on earth, if we could see them as God sees them, as not an enemy, God, there are no enemies in God's heart, as we discuss in another one. Um, if we could see each person as a gift and be in awe at the beauty of that other person, then, you know, that's kind of like what I was, I guess this is what I was trying to get at before about the the pause of nonviolence is, I don't, and I, I was finding myself frustrated like, oh man, we're kind of coming toward the end of this podcast and we haven't even answered anything, you know, and, and um, but again, like I said, that's that's okay. I think that's where we need to be. We need to be seeking the teaching of Jesus. And so, um, if our actions grow out of an absolute, just a love and an awe for the other people that are in our lives and the other people we come across, um, I'm not sure exactly what that's going to look like if they confront us with violence. But I know that that's the posture that God is calling us to, is to... And I, th- there's no question that if we could do more of that, there would be less violence in the world. Um, we can save for another time the discussion of when, you know, is there any justifiable violence? When is it justified? Um, but there's no question that it must be the last resort by a far, far distance. Um, if we, you know, and it will be if we are so in love with the other people that we come across, if we see God in each person. And is that absolutely hard? Of course. It's, I mean, it's it's very difficult. Um, but the, the message of Christ wasn't such a earth-changing message because it was easy it was because it was challenging and people are you know as much as we often despair about people you know and and even our even ourselves looking at our weakness and seeing that we just and i just always want to take the easy way out i think we also know that men and women truly rise to greatness when they're challenged um and we're attracted to to challenge and attracted to something new and fresh and invigorating and like wow this this calls me to something else and i um i believe 
God is calling us there. And um, Pope Benedict, so uh, in a address to St. Peter's Square uh, at one of the uh, daily Angelus addresses, um, and Pope Francis quotes him as saying um, that we need as Christians to have the attitude of one who is so convinced of God's love and power that he or she is not afraid to tackle evil with the weapons of love and truth alone. Um, I, I truly believe that that is the posture of our hearts that we need to seek and ask God to, uh, to create in us, to, to create a new heart for us that we are so convinced of God's love and power that we're not seeking to usurp it and and bring everything under our own power, but we submit to God's power in every situation and we're not afraid to tackle evil um, with love and truth, even if we don't understand what that's going to look like. So... Uh, anything you wanted to add, or you've got a uh, a prayer for us? No. Well, I, <laughs> Sorry, I, I John. can pray. I, so that, I'll, I'll let you. I'll let you fine. close it up. Um, <clears throat> as we close out, you know, I thought it was interesting just thinking about the final words of Jesus on the cross mm-hmm. in each of the gospels. It's interesting how they're they're not all the same. Uh, if you didn't know that, uh, in Matthew and Mark, Jesus ends his life on the cross, but his last words are, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Which is a quote from Psalm 22. One. In Luke, uh, he says, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit, which is a quote from Psalm 31.5. And then in John, he says, It is finished which certainly are the most applicable words for our podcast at this moment. (laughs) Um, But uh, I wanted to end with just an excerpt from uh, the prayer at the end of Joy of the Gospel. And so, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. Mary, Virgin and Mother, Star of the New Evangelization, help us to bear radiant witness to communion, service, ardent and generous faith, justice and love of the poor, that the joy of the gospel may reach to the ends of the earth, illuminating even the fringes of our world. Mother of the living gospel, wellspring of happiness for God's little ones, pray for us. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, thank you for joining us. Um, we'll, uh, we'll we'll see you soon, metaphorically, uh, through podcast, internet view, uh, viewing. We're not literally watching you. Don't worry. That's some. Uh, <laughs> uh, we love you. Thank you. Um, Talk to you soon. We appreciate you listening to today's podcast. 
Please tune in again next week, and we look forward to seeing you. May God bless you.